Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. La spéciale Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, le retour et le but Deuxième poteau, le petit ballon d'Aubameyang, Guerin en remise, Smith-Rowe avec ses balios. Oh, oui. oh quel petit ballon, oh quel petit oh. ballon vers Bellerin oui. Décidément This is Arscast Extra Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, it is a goodly morning, so goodly morning to you. Andrew, that's music to my ears. Goodly morning to you too. I like it. It feels like it wasn't that long ago since the last one, but it's felt like a long time. Has a bit. And it's been frustrating because I think we've perhaps deserved a little more out of the last couple of games than we got, which isn't to make any excuses or anything like that. But when the goodliness of the morning returns in the way that it did, I think we mm. should embrace it. We should be happy for it. We should we should soak in it, bathe in the goodliness of this morning together. Bask. Mm. Bask. Bask. I don't know how to pronounce that word. Bask. But whatever that verb is, we should be doing it. Yeah. I'm doing it right now. Are you? Yeah. It's a good job this isn't on video, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh... I, I really, particularly the first half, I thought Arsenal were excellent yesterday. Yeah, I did too. I think I tweeted at halftime, that was good and I liked it. I didn't quite like the second half as much, but that's inevitable when you concede a couple of goals. But I liked the first half a, a lot, an awful mm. lot, I have to say. You know, we, we, we sort of... Um, I don't know if we went overboard on the the first half against Wolves because obviously what happened in the final stages of that first half took the sheen off of you know what we did previously a bit like getting a brand new car and then just driving it straight into a wall but you know there was a lot to like about the way we played in that first half against Wolves the only thing you would say is that we didn't make the most of the the dominance that we had. We didn't score the goals. And, and what was particularly pleasing about yesterday was we played just as well, I think, in the, in the first half uh, against mm-hmm. Leeds as we did against Wolves. Uh, the football was really good. The movement was excellent. Um, but we capitalized on being on top by scoring the goals that we needed to score to to obviously go on and win the game. Exactly. And, you know, I think there were obviously a few moments for Arsenal fans in the second half that were quite nervy. We are Arsenal fans. We know what this team yeah. and this club is capable of. But effectively, this game was won in the first half where we really did assert our dominance. Probably could have asserted it more had we been ordered uh, the first penalty as well. Uh, and I just was really encouraged about the style in which Arsenal played you know I thought there were a lot of really interesting developments in terms of the shape of uh, the midfield and particularly 
the attack. Yeah. Um, and, and Leeds are a tricky opponent. I know United hammered them and therefore people kind of wrote them off a bit. And I think there's a feeling that they can be as bad as they can be good. But, you know, Mar- uh, Bielsa was incredibly uh, positive about Mikel Arteta after the game and it effectively said, you know, Arsenal were coached much better than our team. And I thought you could see some of that. I thought Arsenal mm. really worked hard on to sort of squeezing leads when they tried to play out. You know, Arsenal kind of became the pressing team in this game, which isn't what you would necessarily expect. And I thought they did that exceptionally well. Mm. I think that's a good point about Leeds in that they can be uh, they blow hot and cold in many ways. And I think we saw yeah. that in, in the two halves. They were certainly an awful lot better in the second half. And they did make two halftime changes, which had a big effect on, on you know, how they played in the second half. Obviously, we got that early goal, which, uh, look, it, it put some, not gloss on the scoreline, but I think it made us think that it was going to be more of the same. Um, but but clearly what Leeds did in the second half was, was different and better. So we saw maybe the two sides of them. And I think we have to, acknowledge that but we'll come back to the second half in a minute um what did you make of the the team lineup because you know i'm sitting here this morning and i'm you know in some ways i feel like i've got a bit of egg on my face in that in the build-up to this game i was quite keen on the idea of Bakayo Saka playing at left back in the absence of kieran tierney just to give us that that bit of balance Mm -hmm. but I now feel like an idiot, kind of, because he's just so good from that right-hand side. And I'm sure we'll get into the nuts and bolts of his performance uh, as we go on. You know, he, he he has made himself undroppable in that position. I can completely understand why Mikel Arteta said, well, look, he could give us something at left-back, but what he gives us, you know, in that right uh, attacking position is a, is a great deal more than he gives us at left-back. Um, so I thought there was something quite interesting about the team selection, not simply the fact that Martin Odegaard started, but Odegaard and Emil Smith-Rowe started behind Aubameyang as a striker. So there was a lot to sort of unpack from the from the team selection because I wasn't expecting what we got. No, I, I did quite fancy Odegaard to play this game. You know, he'd had two and a half weeks yeah. of training now and actually a full week pretty much of training before this game you know this was the first week he's been here where things haven't been interrupted by a midweek fixture and I thought that might have helped to sort of bed him in a bit but I did think Arteta might take the opportunity to rest Smith Rowe he's played a lot of football he's had injury problems in the past he's a young guy um, so I was surprised slightly to see them playing together um, and I was also not really sure what kind of arrangement those three players were going to be playing in you know would it definitely be Odegaard in the centre or would they maybe mix it up and put Saka out on the left Odegaard on the right keep Smith Rowe in the middle Um, there were different ways that you could kind of come at it but uh, I suppose my other surprise and maybe slight my my initial disappointment was that Nicola Pepe wasn't playing Mm. Um, it always feels like Arteta kind of takes the first opportunity to leave him out. But then I I did actually have a kind of second thought on that, which is I thought, well, you know, Benfica is a very big game. Um, Pepe has been starting recently. A degree of rotation is necessary in this period. And I wondered if maybe 
Arteta had kind of seen the comments from Patrick Bamford in midweek who said, oh, Alioski's looking forward to playing Arsenal because he's going to be reunited with his mate Pepe. Oh, yeah. And watching, yeah, yeah. watching the way Alioski sort of ploughed into a couple of early challenges, there was one on Saka and one on Odegaard. I wondered if maybe that was a factor in Arteta's decision that he thought, I'm not mm. going to put Pepe in, in, in that situation to get provoked again. I don't know. In the danger zone, if you like. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I thought one of the... Um, most entertaining sights of the afternoon was Alioski having been hauled off after being brutalised for most of mm. the afternoon by Bakayo Saka. Roasted. Mm. Um, whatever uh, way you want to describe it, Saka just gave him the most ridiculously hard time. It was brilliant to watch. And then him sort of trudging off, going all the way around the pitch to reach the Leeds dugout. He had to wander past Pepe. And I was wondering, I was looking at it going, I wonder will there be any kind of interaction here? Like, yeah. like will Pepe try and trip him up or something like that? Or give him a little pat on the arse? You know, hard luck, son. There you go. But you know there was there was nothing but you know i think as we uh, prepare for what is a really difficult period right so we've got we did leeds yesterday we've got benfica on thursday and we've got to travel to rome to play that game then we've got man city on on sunday thursday again we've got to travel to greece to play benfica and again the following sunday we've got to go to leicester you know i i think the team selections that Mikel Arteta has in mind aren't simply informed by who's next, you know, who we're mm. playing next. I think he's having to take probably a long view or a medium-term view on, okay, what's a good team to play against Leeds on Sunday, which means I can play a good team against Benfica on Thursday and rotate a little and keep some of the, the players fresh. I do, I can't, um, believe that that isn't a factor in his thinking in terms of the, the teams he's selecting. Yeah, that's a good point. And something that occurred to me actually is that I think it was the Leeds match away from home where Arteta kind of first deployed Aubameyang through the middle this season. And I, I do wonder if uh, he, he thinks Leeds is a good um, opponent for Aubameyang as a central striker because there are those opportunities in broken mm. play. And they do tend to leave things quite open and one-on-one and obviously he absolutely has the ability and the pace to exploit that so I I did feel like a as Bielsa said a very well prepared carefully selected team and you know as much as I might have wanted to see Pepe play I could not argue at all with the performances of the three guys behind the striker as you say Saka was outstanding and Mm. I thought Odegaard and Smith-Rowe really contributed as well yeah and I think what what I liked most about this is that if this is a sort of uh, a nudge in the direction of of a new iteration of Arsenal under Mikel Arteta if this is what he kind of envisages his ideal team to be you know a striker uh, with three very creative technical players uh, around him and behind him um you know we don't need to do the the whole Aubameyang low touch um you know get him in the box kind of thing again but you can see how it really works and to have Saka Odegaard and Smith Rowe around him you know th- there was something I don't want to say Wengerish, but something that that sort of resonated with me in terms of how I would like to see Arsenal set up and how I would like to see Arsenal play with the kind of players that I I think this club should be using on a more regular basis. I know it's it's not easy to do in every game. I know there are myriad factors uh, that determine team selection and all of those kind of things. But I think if you're looking for 
a way which will um, connect with mm. fans and also be an effective way to play football. I feel like this hopefully is a little step in, I don't want to say the right direction, but in a direction that I could absolutely get on board with. Because, you know, I think we have to acknowledge as well that, you know, behind that front four, Ceballos and Granit Xhaka, uh, something I think Bielsa mentioned himself as well, were, were both very good. Yeah. Uh, and they gave those front four the platform to play the way they did. They did, and I thought Ceballos had his best game for some time, actually. Um, mm. I, at a point where I had kind of sort of resigned myself, especially with Partey and Chaka looking like such a promising partnership, I was kind of thinking, I don't know, you know, when are we going to see Ceballos? Is he going to be mm. a regular in the team? He really, really did kind of stake his claim, and I guess he's probably, he's, got, he's still highly motivated, although he's only here on loan. Um, you know, he's got a Spain place to think about, mm. should the Euros go ahead this summer as planned, and, you know, he, he will want to be desperately, want to be involved in that squad. So I thought he was excellent. I thought Granit Xhaka's been really consistent of mm. late, and really good. Um, and what was nice is we saw in this game, I thought, some of the positive things he's done in recent weeks sustained, even though Thomas Partey wasn't sort of next to him. Yeah, I, that was the worry, wasn't it? It was like, how are we yeah. going to cope without Partey? Um, you know, because he's become influential in midfield and is the Xhaka, I don't want to say renaissance, but you know what I mean? The, the recent uptick in form is that, how much of that is down to Partey or how much is, you know, that down to Xhaka being confident and, and, and just being in decent form? And I think we got some of the answer yesterday. I agree with you about Ceballos as well. Um, I mean, he looked knackered. Um, and when he, I don't know if I can think of a player more like him in that as soon as he's knackered, it becomes really obvious. Like, he looks mm. like he's running through treacle at times, but I thought his first half was was excellent. Um, he's and, a really high-intensity player, I think. Like, when yeah. he's on his game, you know, he presses, he works hard defensively. He seems to play, mm. you know, kind of giving, <laughs> if you forgive the cliche, 120% or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe when that dips he just isn't the same player and, and he's someone you have to rest and rotate and, and manage. Maybe so, but, uh, you know, good display yesterday. So, look, um, team selection, I think, was, if not brave, I think it was really positive, a really positive team selection. Um, mm. You know, I wondered what it would be like with Smith Rowe on the left-hand side, but I think what was quite interesting was that he often came inside and Aubameyang moved out into that area to to pick up the ball at times and to to move into that space. So um, if you look at the first goal, it's Smithrow dropping into midfield from that left hand side to combine with Shaka, and the, you know he gives the ball to Aubameyang. So you know his involvement in there is is really interesting. Um, I mean, we can't not talk about Aubameyang and the the performance. No. Um, it's it's been an underwhelming season, I think, for him for many reasons. Mm-hmm. Difficult period lately, you know, on and off the pitch. He hasn't been scoring goals. That is what he does. It's what he's done his whole career, and he's gone through this for him a particularly fallow period. Um, and I guess there were questions about like, God, you know, is he going to be the same player? Have we made a mistake giving a a deal to a guy who's, you know, not old, but heading in towards the the September of his career? He's Mm. had some games, hasn't he, where he's been played as the central striker and it hasn't quite worked. It hasn't come off. But I think yesterday showed everything that's possible with him in that position. And I think we go back to, you know, who was around him. 
who's delivering the ball for him, who's creating space and movement for him to to get on the end of. Because he scored a hat trick, but he could have had four or five. He hit the bar. There was a, a an attempt in the first half, wasn't there? Um, where I think it was Luke Ayling made a really, really, oh yeah, Brilliant really block. good block to to prevent what was almost certainly going to be a goal. So on top of the three goals he ordered, he scored, he had you know another couple that that could have gone in as well. So in terms of like an all round centre forward performance from Aubameyang, it's probably one of the best we've ever seen from him in that position. Yeah, I think so. And I, I do think the opponent is part of that as well. I do think that Leeds play in a, a way that does give up chances and that mm. suits Aubameyang. But he did look a lot sharper. And I think, you know, it's been a really tricky period recently. But speaking of, you know, fatigue and players looking not 100%, mm. as much as it's been difficult for him to be out of the team and dealing with personal matters, maybe it's also provided a degree of respite for a player who... Yeah, yeah was hugely important to Arsenal last season, who carried them through Project Restart and that FA Cup run, mm. and who might be experiencing some mental and physical fatigue. Um, I don't know, but it, it felt like he'd come back re- reset and refreshed. Recharged recharged his batteries a bit. Yeah, and, and, and he, he was smiling again, which is a huge thing. He was scoring again, which mm. is fantastic. Uh, it could be a really important development for Arsenal to have a Bamiang back and scoring goals in what remains of this season. It could really, really make Mikel Arteta's job <laughs> a lot more straightforward. Well, I mean, it is one of the things we've talked about consistently is the lack of goals or not scoring enough goals. So if you've got a, a top-class striker who plays himself back into form and feels confident in front of goal and gets into goal-scoring positions, given... Um, you know, the position that he started in, uh, which mm-hmm. allows him to do that. Like, you know, there's no question he can score goals from the left-hand side. Absolutely. No. And I think there will be games this season where he's asked to play from the left-hand side. But, you know, if he can replicate this kind of performance, you know, he's not going to score a hat-trick in every game. But, you know, the 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 threat that he poses to opposition defences is... is um, Serious, you know. Yeah, it, I mean, it's an obvious thing to say, but if Arsenal have found or stumbled upon or discovered a way to make Albemiang work uh, mm. and and succeed in this team, they need to pursue that because he's here for a, another two seasons. After this, he's the highest paid player in the club, um, and they they need to maximise what they can get from that. Mm. I agree with you. I don't think we won't see Lacazette again this season. I'm sure there'll be games where Arteta goes back to that. But beyond this season, I'm not sure if Lacazette's future here is secure. So Arsenal need to focus their energies on Aubameyang. And this was, yeah, it was just a really encouraging day for him in that position. Mm. I, I don't know if there's ever been a day where he's been quite so devastating and effective. I mean, he really was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, top class. I mean, uh, let's do the goals if you want. So the first one, combination between um, Shaka, and Shaka. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things that I've liked about Shaka of late is his um, his 
willingness to play a first-time pass, which isn't mm. always uh, the first thing on his mind. But, you know, he's getting it forward quickly and getting it into dangerous areas quickly. Aubameyang, few step-overs, gave keeper the eye maybe, or the keeper expected him to do the the sort of curly finish towards the far mm. post, and he, he finished at his near post. I thought he got a lot of grief, um, you know, certainly at halftime, he got a lot of grief, uh, the goalkeeper, but he's only 20, isn't he? He's only a young guy, and um, did, should he have saved that first one? I don't know, you know. I think it's a pretty good finish from Aubameyang. Like mm. like you, I think there's a lot of disguise on it. You know, he does the step overs. You think he's going to open his body out. Mm. I mean, the keeper obviously had a bad day for Leeds. Um, I happen to think he's pretty talented. I've seen him quite a few times and he, he can be really good on the ball and quite agile. Um, mm. I, I think he was more culpable, obviously, on some of the the later goals, yeah. particularly the, the penalty award and obviously the, maybe the Bellerin one, which felt very Almunia-y. <laughs> That's true. Okay, well, look, the, the first penalty, and I have penalty in inverted commas because obviously it was overturned. Yeah. Um, look, Saka picks up the ball. I think it's a, a combination with Odegaard, drives into the box. To me, that's a penalty. That's a penalty. There's no clear and obvious error as far as I can see in terms of what the referee uh, assessed in his initial judgment looking at that. I think he got it right. I think it was a penalty. Um, But I'm glad we're not sitting here this morning bemoaning VAR and talking about how VAR this and referees that. You know, the best way to make a decision like that irrelevant is to just play well and, you know, make the most of the opportunities that we, um, that we had in the game. And, you know, I think we, I think we did that. I think there could have been a temptation to sort of let that get in our heads a bit, given some of the decisions that have gone our way or gone against us of late. Um, but mm. yeah, I'm just curious as to, to what you thought about that first one penalty or not. Uh, by the way, I should say, apologies, my puppy appears to be protesting the refereeing decisions uh, from the other room. So if you can hear that, I do apologise. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know about the penalty. I, in real time, I was like, oh, yeah, OK, he's brought him down. Brilliant run, by the way, from Saka. Incredible mm. acceleration. And it was really thrilling. It felt like it deserved something. Um, on the replay, I was kind of... I'm not... <sighs> The way I would describe it is I see it as quite a soft penalty, but I do think overturning it, having given it, was ridiculous. The if on- you see what I mean. Yeah, I do. And the only thing I would say is that if the Saka one is given, I don't know that we could have complained too much if uh, the Bamford one late in the second that, half were given. Yeah. And, and I suppose what I would say is in my ideal of football, I don't really, I wouldn't want those to be penalties. In the game as it stands, mm. in the laws as they are, yeah, they probably are. And I was really surprised that he was called over to have a look at that and overturn it. I just don't think that qualified as a, a clear mm. and obvious error. Um, but credit to Saka because it honestly felt like he was like, well, I'm just going to go and get us another one. Yeah. Uh, and he worked exceptionally hard, and he did it, which is pretty much what he did. Yeah, you know, because when you look at when you look at how that came about, when you look at how that passage of play came about, it's Saka. I mean, chasing from basically the halfway line, he closes down a man, closes down a defender, closes down the goalkeeper, and he's mm-hmm. you know he's run that. There it is. And there's the foul. I mean, mistake from the keeper, obviously. Saka makes sure that the referee sees he's got fouled. But that's down to his persistence. It's down to his hard work. It's down to his, um, you know, his willingness to put in those hard yards, I guess you would say. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, frightening acceleration. I mean, Saka, what always stood out about him at youth level actually wasn't always his technical ability. It was just that frightening acceleration. And he he showed that again. The keeper panicked, loses it, and he wins another penalty. And mm. I, I, I just to go back to what you said right at the top of this discussion, really, I mean, Saka is flying at the moment he really mm. is and I share your belief that he's probably a better left back than Cedric Suarez um, but maybe he's just too invaluable to us in terms of what he's offering in the final third he's yeah he's um, he's so good he is so good uh, and it's absolutely wonderful to watch uh, I think I've got a question about him in the second half so we'll do a little bit more on Sack in the second half but you know I think Aubameyang obviously scoring a hat trick becomes the headline or the the focus of um you know your man of the match awards and all that kind of stuff but mm. i'm taking nothing away from obamiang here i think saka in that first half absolutely ran the show i mean obamiang slots away the penalty and the third goal like saka had the bit between his teeth i don't know what way you want to describe it but basically uh, you know, ran across yeah. the box, beat about four men. Alioski couldn't get anywhere near him. The ball came back across and, you know, smart play, I think, by Ceballos uh, and, and Bellerin to, to score the goal. But it comes again from the work that Saka is doing. And when you are that dangerous in, in the way you play and when you are that um, effective, you know, defenders get scared. And on, in the build-up to that that next goal the way he drove across the box, box you could see they were terrified to touch him because mm. you know he's so quick so nimble if they got too close they were probably going to give us a third penalty decision mm. um, and it, yeah the way he just kind of sprinted across that box it was absolutely electric uh, so yeah I mean another outstanding contribution and I really love that third goal I think it's really well worked actually you know it feels like the moves died mm. then when Aubameyang chips it back across the box the way it's kind of worked between uh, Bellerin and Ceballos is is beautiful really. yeah a little nutmeg pass I mean what do you make of that touch from, from Bellerin to get it out from under his feet um, mm. and make the pass I mean that's a that's a sexy touch if he meant it. it. I don't know I don't know how much of it he meant, but it was uh, you know, a really nice touch. Got the ball out, finished at the near post, like you say, a bit of Almuni esque from the goalkeeper, but you know, as a team goal, um and it, it wasn't the first time uh, that Bellerin got into those dangerous positions. There was one I think in the second half where he kinda took a heavy touch and yeah, yeah, another yeah. goal. But you know, that that's a really, really nice goal. It, it was, yeah, really well taken. And, you know, I, I think he probably... It's funny, you know, <laughs> someone pointed out, I forget who it was, that I've been saying uh, last week he he doesn't hit the ball with his laces enough and blah, blah, blah. Well, he really put his foot yeah. through that finish. Uh, it was James Dawe who pointed it out. Thanks for that. But, uh, yeah, he really put his foot through it. Again, I don't think the keeper would be overjoyed with the way that went in, but Arsenal should be really pleased with that as a goal. It was really well worked around the edge of the box. Sabayos did brilliantly. Um, and it... To be honest, it felt like, OK, that is actually a fair reflection of the dominance Arsenal have shown in that half. I really mm. do think, you know, we got what we deserved, which we haven't done uh, sufficiently enough in recent weeks. Yeah, no, no, I absolutely uh, absolutely agree with you. And that that's the difference between that first half against Wolves and the first half uh, yeah. yesterday in that, like, if something went wrong, you've given yourself enough room to, to cope you know um mm-hmm. and and that was that was the big difference and i thought the way we set out to play the game was really impressive you know the you could try and match leeds um 
energy and what have you with running, but we decided to to deal with their um, with their particular skill sets and, and the threat that they pose with the ball by how we use the ball and where we use the ball. And I think when you're playing with Aubameyang as a striker and you're playing with those three players um, behind him, it signals exactly where you want to play the game and where you see the opponent's weakness in many ways, right? Yeah, you know because exactly. Leeds leads. We know they're uh, a team that scores plenty of goals, but they also concede a lot of goals and a lot of chances. So I think we were set up in a way to obviously not just get goals ourselves, but exploit that particular weakness in in the way Leeds operate. Yeah, I thought we did that. I thought we used the ball mm. really, really well. Uh, as you say, I mean, Leeds made a couple of changes at half time, and it was kind of a different different game in some ways but the goal we got immediately after the break was important mm. you know I think it, it effectively put us out of sight and had we not got that mm. it would have been a, a much much nervier afternoon deliberate or not from Smithrow cross the <laughs> I back really, post I don't know I don't know what do you think he's a genius of course it was deliberate he saw him he made <laughs> it look like he was perhaps going to curl it but the disguise meant that he just found uh, Aubameyang at the back post for sure yeah yeah, it's. Um, it, I, I was watching it real time, and kind of I didn't see. I was in the ground. I didn't see Aubameyang sort of lurking there, and I was 100 percent convinced he'd open himself out for the shot. But there is a replay which appears to support, you know, the idea that Smith Rowe looked for the pass. Who knows? Who knows? I'm sure he'll tell us it was a, a pass. I think if you interview him, he'll just say, "Of course, man. Of course, yeah. man." <laughs> That's all he needs to say. It's like, uh, you know, Saka against... Exactly. Saka against uh, Chelsea. So, look... It was you know, it was aesthetically pleasing, nonetheless, and uh, nice for Aubameyang to get ahead, which doesn't happen all too often. No, true, but I think as well, you know, we we we, we have to look at Smith-Rowe as well because I, Saka has taken a lot of the the coverage and the plaudits oh, and, and yeah. everything else, and, and rightly so, because he's just been so good. But, you know, I think low level behind him, Smith Rowe has been has been excellent, you know? Um, mm. And, and there's sort of end product to the way he plays. I really like watching Smith Rowe. I like, um, I like the way he plays. You know, mm. I like how quick and nimble he is and the way he, he sort of zips into little positions where the defender or the midfielder has kind of no idea where he's coming from and he gives us this other option in midfield which helps link everything and I don't think as good as Saka has been you know good to see Aubameyang scoring again etc etc Thomas Partey all of those things I don't think we would be as encouraged by the football we were playing over the last couple of months if it wasn't for Smithrow and I think he deserves uh a fair amount of credit and it was good to see yesterday that the the way he played was rewarded with with some tangible um uh what you call it statistical whatever whatever he got an assist yeah. you know that's a wonderful insight some statistical whatever whatever you know what i mean though like there was yeah. something there that you can point to and say he played really well in this game and he provided an assist i, I think he deserved that yeah, and, and between the Premier League and the Europa League, he's got six assists this season, You know, which does show he is making those final third contributions. Mm. Um, I, I thought he was very good. I think it shows his intelligence that he was able to switch out to that left flank and immediately look so at home there. Mm. Uh, he really can play in any of those three positions behind the striker because... Mm. He has that unique uh, combination of abilities. He he has the kind of 
precision on the ball. He has the good decision making, but he does also have the acceleration and the ability to run in behind. And he offers a goal threat from that position. I mean, there were times where you're right, Aubameyang peeled out there and Smithrow was popping up in the six yard box, you know, almost getting on the end of stuff. And I think goals will come for him if he plays more first team games. I think that's in him. And we saw that from the very start, really, since his first games under Unai Emery. He has been the difference, you know, as outstanding as Saka is. And I think Saka is, on a pure talent level, I I think he is the one Mm. from this generation that Arsenal have. I think he is the one, absolutely. But it's Smith Rowe who has transformed the way this team has played, you know, who has provided something that we just didn't previously had. And, uh, yeah, I think Mikel Arteta has got to be really, really grateful for that. And I think if you look at his team selections, it shows that. I mean... He keeps picking him, you know, yeah, even yeah. when you think surely arrest is around the corner, Smith Rowe's there again. And when he didn't play against Newcastle in the FA Cup, he was the first man off the bench, wasn't he? And I think that shows you where he is in the manager's thoughts right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think an, an interesting aspect of that fourth goal before we move on to more of the second half is this uh, thing we're doing where we're winning the ball higher up the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't... Uh, necessarily uh, set out uh, as a really high-pressing team or anything like it, but there have been multiple occasions uh, in this last couple of months in which we have played better where we've surrounded a man, won the ball. You think of Pepe against Wolves, for example. He wins the ball and goes on and does something extraordinary to score. But there is this idea, or whether it's instruction or whatever, but we are winning the ball higher up the pitch from defenders. And and from there, um, we're we're making chances. And that's what happened with that fourth goal. I think it was Cedric who who got a foot in, played it to Smith-Rowe. And then, of course, he played that genius cross for for Aubameyang. So 4-0. Yeah. And... Okay, I was thinking this could be more. Can I just say one more thing about that goal, by the way? I just watched it back. You're right, Cedric does win the ball and he's, uh, you know, the Leeds player is surrounded as well by Smith-Rowe and Saka. So it is a really good coordinated piece of pressing. Mm. But the the manner in which Smith-Rowe brings the ball under control, again, is the sort of thing that happens very, very quickly and that you almost wouldn't notice but it's like three touches which sort of almost involve a drag back to get it from behind him in front of him Mm. he's just very 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 smooth isn't he in everything he does very technically proficient yeah and uh yeah there's an economy about his game that i absolutely love okay and and just one one more thing on that fourth goal um in that it starts with Aubameyang dropping deep to lay the ball off to Saka to drive at their box and it doesn't go anywhere it breaks down and that's when we win the ball the ball back but you know one of the things that Aubameyang sometimes is accused of is maybe the the wrong word but people point to is that you know he doesn't really link play well Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. deep positions and there's an example of yes he can do that as well as score a hat-trick and have another couple of good chances so you know the, the there is I think this perception that Aubameyang can only operate in the penalty box, and I don't think that's true. Yeah, I mean, like I say, this was his most complete performance in a long time, I mm. think, really. Um, and let's hope it continues, because he looked absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I'm watching it more and more, and I, I think it's a cross. I think it's a cross. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, I watched it back, you know, while I was just commentating on it then, and uh, it does look like he clips it in that direction. Yeah. If... If he does, it's an astonishing pick out, really. Yeah. Uh, I'm not fantastic. sure he looks to see if anyone's there, but then I think he just knows. 
like deep within his soul, his football <laughs> instinct is so great, he knows that Aubameyang is there. Well, is that not another thing Aubameyang gives you? Yeah. That you know he's likely to be there. That's a very know? good point. That's a very uh, good point. Uh, in a way that's not quite mm. the same of Lacazette. Mm. Um, yeah. Anyway, and, and amazing for Aubameyang to get his... I think, is that his first hat-trick in the Premier League? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it feels like strange almost to say that because his goal-scoring record's been so fantastic. I think it takes him to 200 top-flight goals in Europe as well. Not bad. Um, it's not a bad record. Not it's bad. It's not a bad record. It's 200 more than either of us, so you got to give him credit for that. <laughs> no, fair play. I'll take him out of two. That's not bad. <laughs> so, um, Leeds were always going to keep going. They were never going to sort of yeah. sit back and... and they're Just a kind of weird team in that respect. Like, I feel like 4-0 up against most teams, the game is dead. But with Leeds, that is never the case. And, and Bielsa was sat in front of me and he was kind of more animated and more demanding of his team at 4-0 down than he'd been at any other point. You know, they were always mm. going to chase this. Um, and I think, yeah, well, we all know what happened. So, look, they get a goal from a corner. Um I think it was good, a really good header, like a proper yeah. thumping header from a corner. Uh, I didn't love that Leeds scored that goal, but I love those kind of goals. Mm-hmm. Same. It was a brilliant header. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if we need to analyse that too much. Great delivery, great timing, mm. really powerful header. I mean... Like, he's a big I, guy who was being marked by Saka. And, I, you know, this is, this is a constant in our... Um, Set up, yeah. Yeah, and I set up in that, like, it looks like the big guys are marking the zones, and then we ask the smaller, more nimble guys Bellerin to... And Sacco. Uh, yeah, to, to go with the with the runners, if you like, to try and, and block them off. Uh, and I'm not sure maybe Saka did enough, and that guy made Louise look old uh, with that yeah. header. But, um, look, that's 4-1, and a goal can happen. And then they score another goal. Uh I think uh, Bellerin <laughs> yeah. got done, didn't he? Down the down the inside. It's a really good finish. This isn't it? Uh, when you look at that goal, yeah, it is. It is. It's I'm well taken. To see, yeah, maybe Jack is a little bit ball watching, but when the ball comes across, he just does it really lovely with his with his right foot outside of the boot. Yeah, yeah lifts it. It's a very very good finish poor defending from an Arsenal perspective and it's 4-2 and and I think they had said on the 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 commentary at some point they said it's uh, whatever seven years ago to the day or eight years ago to this week or whatever when Arsenal were 4-0 up against Newcastle oh and, did they really yeah wow, they said that, that and I I, I was traumatised <laughs> because I'm still not over that I'm still not over that game and the yeah. idea that like oh Shit, imagine if they got one more and then we're like, fuck. Oh. So it was, it, it's weird, isn't it? In that it feels, I don't know if this is just us being um, calamitous or whatever or having that outlook, but, but, but scoring four goals at home and still being kind of scared for the second half, is that just the life of, uh, and times of an Arsenal fan? Is that what we have to contend with? You know... I, I mean, I, I think, I, let me uh, ask you, let me put it to you like this. Do you think that the the players and the manager would have been as concerned with how that second half was developing as we were? Or are we more fatalistic? 
So I was in the ground and I wasn't as concerned as my sort of social media right. uh, timeline. Now, probably that was because I didn't have a commentator in my ear telling me about Shake TOT and 4-4 and all those things. Mm. Um, that would have, I think, amplified any anxiety I had. I think as long as Arsenal had a two-goal lead, I was sort of okay. I, is it is it this Arsenal team? I mean, look, there are things that Arsenal... You know, there was a substitution that I know that, you know, I think you've touched on this morning and it's it's almost frustrating to have to be talking about it again, but we'll get to that. And I think that obviously affected Arsenal's intensity. Mm. I do wonder if this is more just about uh, Leeds, maybe, you know, and that they, they are this kind of strange team that will chase lost causes and yeah. make games where there aren't one. I, I don't know if this would have happened against many other opponents in the Premier League. And yeah. I suppose they deserve credit for that. Yeah, look, the substitution I don't really want to go into because um, I've got a question in the second half about the the W conversation, uh, one that we can't avoid. I mean, literally dozens and dozens of questions about this. So we're going to have to deal with it in one way. The only yeah. thing I would say is I'm, I'm not saying it was a substitution I liked. It wasn't. I think think we had better options i think we we could have made the second half more easy or easier for ourselves with um a better player in that position but i think the the tone of the second half was set from the start of the second half in that like our pass completion was just as bad or it was more or less the same in the opening 20 minutes of the half as it was when Willian came on. So I don't mean to say that Willian was the thing that, um, you know, derailed our performance. He, he, he sucks the life out of the team for me. It's, I, I can't ever remember anything like it before. It's, it's just remarkable in that a player comes on and, and there's just this like, ugh. Ugh. You know, I, I just cannot remember it before. And I don't, like, again, I don't think it was a, a good substitution. And I would have brought Pepe on myself. I think he would have given us more, particularly on the break against a team like Leeds, who were pressing yeah. and trying to, to do more. I think we would have had more threat. Maybe we would have got the goal. We did have some opportunities to score in, in the second half as well. Um, True. But, it, it, you know, it didn't, it didn't help. And I think probably the more relevant aspect to the second half performance is the fact that Leeds made two halftime changes which made a difference one of them scored a goal in fairness you know so those those two changes that Bielsa made and the fact we had a 4-0 lead and the natural sort of game state that that goes with that I think was more um explains more the second half than just bringing on William. Yeah, and I do wonder how much of a psychological factor that fourth goal in our favour was. You know, I mm. think Mikel Arteta would have been absolutely insistent with his team. Look, we know Leeds are going to come out and play. They're not going to give up. The ghost here is essential. We get the next goal in the game. And to credit Arsenal, they did it, you know. And I think they might have been slightly guilty of switching off a, a little bit at that point. And I think it's very difficult to avoid that at 4-0 up. I mean... It's a natural tendency, isn't it, to kind of think, well, we've we've done enough here, really, mm. and let's let them come on to us and, and we'll exploit, pick holes on the break. And, and we nearly did, like you say. I mean, that mm. Bellerin one where Odegaard played him in on the right-hand side and he let it get away from him, I, that looked like a pretty good chance. Yeah. And there were other moments of Bamiang hit the woodwork, didn't he? Yeah, Saka hit the post as well. I think he might have been given offside. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, if we're going to point that out, 
it's reasonable to say that it was Willian who played that pass to him, uh, from which he hit the post. So, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure how much worse Willian made us. I agree that other players I feel could have contributed more. Yeah. Um, and actually, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of questions, so we'll get on to that in part yeah, two. We'll get on to that. And I think really part one should, should focus on, you know, what was, very much a positive day for Arsenal, for Mikel Arteta, for many of the players, the performance, you know, we scored the goals, we we dominated the first half and we made the most of our domination. All the things that we've been looking for Arsenal to do, uh, we did, you know? Mm. So... Uh, and without I, some really important players as well, you know, Thomas Partey, Kieran Tierney, yeah. hugely important players for this team and, and you... You know, we didn't feel their absence too too greatly. I thought on the day. No, no, no. I mean, credit to those who played. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Because it's you know, it's worrying. Tierney has been so good. They. I don't know if you saw this or if it showed up on whatever little monitor you might have. But you know, on Sky Sports, they did this uh, Arsenal with Kieran Tierney and without Kieran Tierney, and it was like with Kieran Tierney, good. Without Kieran Tierney, very, very bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it was, you know, it was a worry to be without him. But, you know, I think uh, I think Cedric did pretty well uh, again in that position. Um, oh, I'm just looking at this. Aubameyang hitting the post. Oh, Set up by Xhaka. Um, yeah, and, and Partey, obviously, I think, you know, Sabias has come in and done well. And I think overall it's a game we... Uh, we thoroughly deserve to win, even if the second half slightly colours the perception of the overall performance. There was so much more to like about what we did in that first half. And it's just, I think, um, it's a progression in a way. You know, it's really difficult to make a good case for Aston Villa and Wolves being positives because we lost those games. I understand that completely. It's very hard to to, to look at those games and take positives from them. Mm-hmm. I just think mm-hmm. in the overall um, aspect of how we're playing the game and how we're trying to play the game, I'm much happier with what we're doing. Uh, and you know, yesterday was not the culmination of it, but yesterday was a day where it all went well. Yeah, we look a really different team to the one that embarked on that dreadful run mm. um, heading into winter and. You know, I, a lot of that is down to the system we're playing, the type of football we're playing. It is a lot more enjoyable as a fan, mm. isn't it, to watch a team play this way? And but but sooner or later, you need a result with that. You know, you yeah. it's no good no, true, being a bit true, yeah. easier on the eye if you're if you keep losing. So I'm glad we sort of got our just desserts and yeah. a win that we deserved, especially at the start of such a crucial run of games. Yeah, I mean, that's it. You know, it's it's about marrying the two things, playing good football, playing good football obviously gives you a better chance to win games. And, you know, we were able to put the two things together. So, uh, yeah, a pleasing day overall, even if there were a couple of aspects that were, you know, scary and terrifying and, and what have you. You know, but that's maybe just part and parcel of football. The, the idea that, you know, yeah, I think we just have to accept that there are going to be um, scary moments in games. Like if we'd won this game 2-1, we'd be happy enough as well. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. a 2-1 scoreline, you know, we scored four. Uh, I think we take all the positives that we, we, we can take from this particular game. Um, yeah. So. And attacking's been our issue yeah. this season, you know, being a threat, creating chances, scoring goals. And we did that really effectively in this game. Mm. Um 
you know, it's one game. I don't think anyone's going to get carried away. I think we've all sort of learned our lessons in that regard this season. But uh, it mm. was really promising, really encouraging, and a glimpse of what this team might be like in the not-too-distant future, mm. I think. Okay. All right. Well, look, I think that's that's it for part one, unless you've got something else you want to touch on. I, no, think, no. I think that should bring us to the end of part one. So uh, we'll take a little break here. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. And if you want to sign up for Patreon, you can do that. Patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Right. Do you want to go first or will I go first? How, how do you want to play it? Uh, why don't you go first? Okay, we talked a bit about him in the first half and how good he was. Uh, but Clive at Clive PAFC says, Are you worried about our dependency on Saka and the minutes being piled into his legs? He is 19. This week we saw James Justin go down with an ACL injury after playing every minute in, a minute in the Premier League so far this season. Player welfare is a concern. So uh, how do you view this one? Yeah, it's a good point. And I think it's sort of all the more pertinent given that Saka's performances are making him a bit of a target. You know, we're seeing him be fouled on a rotational basis by opponents. You know, Aston Villa did mm. that very well. Um, that's going to happen when you're your team's best player, as he seems to be right now. Uh, it, I'm glad, let's say, that Arteta, I think it sometimes gets forgotten, but Arteta was quite clever in his use of Saka last season. Do you remember once he actually signed the contract? Mm. And the extension, he kind of came out of the team. And I think he actually didn't even get on in the FA Cup final, which might seem crazy now, given how important he's become. Um, but he was on the bench that day. And I think, you know, there was a period where Arteta took him out and rested him. And I'm really glad of that because mm. this is such a crazy time with no real gap between seasons, no pre-season. I kind of fear how what he might, you know, the state he might be in had he not done that. Mm. Um it's difficult, isn't it? Because how do you take him out based on the performances that he's putting in? He's yeah. just 
our most dangerous player and the one who makes stuff happen. Uh, that said, I do think if you're looking at him as a right-sided player, you do have someone in Nicola Pepe who I think contributes similar things to the mm. team, you know, who can offer a similar degree of threat. So I hope there are some rests coming up. I just don't know. I wouldn't want to be the guy choosing where they are, especially with the fixtures looking as difficult as it does right now. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Saka didn't start on Thursday. Really? Yeah. I think maybe it's the, the, the game where you can perhaps give him a little bit of a rest because it's a two-legged thing against Benfica. You know, so if the first game doesn't go quite as well, then you can bring him back for the second one and, and what have you. So I just wonder if that might be the game. Look, I think there's an element of us looking at a young player and thinking, oh, Christ, we have to be super protective of him. And that's true to an extent. Um I just wonder how much of this is out of anybody's hands. Like, you know, if he plays him 90 minutes in every single game and he breaks down because of that, yeah. then OK, we haven't managed that particularly well. And I did have a look at the minutes uh, earlier just to see how many minutes he's done. I think only Bernd Leno has played more minutes than Bakayo wow. Saka. Um, and I think Saka's made 27 appearances. Leno's made 28. Uh, I can't mm. find the tab that I had open here, but I did have it open. Um, so, you know, he's well over the 2,000 minutes uh, uh, so far. So, um, yeah, look, it, it is a concern. I think what worries me more about Saka isn't so much um, overplaying him, but somebody doing something to him that causes right. him an injury. I think that's yeah. where that's where I have a, a real worry because I, what we've seen in the last couple of games is very deliberate targeting of him by the opposition, multiple fouls, rotational fouls. You know, Alioski couldn't really get anywhere near him apart from one time. There was a nice bit. I don't know if you heard this in the stadium. I'm going to play a little clip of it here. But basically, Saka is fouled and someone's shouting like, how many times, ref? So hang on, here's that. Fouled by Alioski. Yeah, so I, don't know, yeah. I don't know who it's that Hector, was. I think. Was it? I think so, yeah. yeah. So, look, I, I like that aspect of it in that, like, it, it really is incumbent on the manager and the players uh, during games to point this out to referees because that gives us um, not protection, but it certainly raises awareness of it uh, in the minds of the referees, you know, when it happens. I think so much happens in a game. A referee, not that it, he's blind to certain things, but I think certain stuff can pass him by. Like if the same player is getting fouled again and again and again, and it's different player each time, they, they've got to do something about that. I wouldn't also be averse to Mikel Arteta either raising it in a press conference or, you know, somebody out there Drawing asking him yeah. about it. So the, the issue comes to light a bit because, you know, muscular injuries, um, hamstring strains, calf strains, all those kind of things are an inevitability, you know, with footballers and professional sports people. And unless you get really, really unlucky, you don't tend to pick up, you know, massive injuries um, out of nowhere. Um so what worries me, like I said, is just guys kicking lumps out of him. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that is the concern. Um, there's not a lot you can do about the context, can you? I mean, like there is. This is just a crazy calendar, and uh, you know, every club, every team, every player is faced with that problem. That said, I do think 
a rest here and there wouldn't go amiss. I mean, when you say he's played more minutes than any other outfield player, that mm. is a huge load on a young player. Um, yeah, uh, so you think there's a chance he might not play in the week, do you? I, I think if I'm Mikel Arteta and I'm looking at the schedule, do I want Saka against Man City? Absolutely. Mm. I absolutely mm. want Saka playing against Man City. It's going to be tough against them, but you know your best chance of getting anything from the game is by playing your best team. I don't really see um, a way that we can rest him for Man City. So can you play him 90 against Leeds in a high-intensity game, travel to Rome, play him for most of the game against Benfica, and then expect him to play against Man City? I don't know that you can. And like you say, I think there are options. I think we've got you know, Nicolas Pepe, who who could well come into the side on Thursday. And and the other thing, you know, you're looking at um, Benfica the following week as well, and then a game against Leicester. Again, Saka, you want him for Leicester. So I think there's going to be a fair amount of rotation for this first Benfica game, to be honest. So it's, it's interesting because I'm sure there are people listening who sort of think, well... Uh, is uh, what's what's to play for in our league season? You know, if we win the Europa League, that's a piece of silverware. Should we not be focusing on that? Uh, yeah, I guess so. But I think you're you're also having to look at the games. Um, you know, in terms of the caliber of the opposition, and like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if we win the Europa League and finish eleventh, people are going to say, "Well, you know, the league is the bread and butter." Blah blah blah. I think we just have to look at these games on their own merits individually right. I you know I don't think we're in any position to start prioritizing the Europa League yet but I do think when you're looking at the kind of schedule we have you have to find a way to um, rotate your squad keep players fresh uh, give guys opportunities to play who haven't mm-hmm. you know like Pepe for example absolutely should start against Benfica and I think he will Um you know, and like I said, there's there's a little bit of wiggle room here. Like if the first leg against Benfica doesn't go quite as well as you want it to, you still have a second leg to make True. up for it. You know, so True. that's why that's just what I'm thinking on that one. So in a ground that we know very well, you know, Olympiacos, it feels like a second home. It is yeah. um, home away. From home. <laughs> I mean, on the subject of Saka, by the way, Pradeep Kachala on Twitter said, at what point do we have to give Saka a pay rise and improved contract given his performances <laughs> this season? I mean, do you have any of that kind of anxiety yet of this guy is so good, we might face a fight to keep him before long? Uh, well, look, uh, when a guy is this good, he's going to attract interest from from other teams and big teams, maybe. I think the only thing right now is that many of the teams uh, who could potentially buy him, certainly European teams, you know, don't have the the money anymore or at the moment because of what's going on. I mean, your Man Cities, your Chelsea's, your your PSG's, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Yeah. But, you know, other more attractive venues than there than Manchester you know you're thinking of Madrid and Barcelona and places like that where you know they might really push the boat out for a talent like him I don't think that's really an option at the moment Uh, you know he's a he's a very seems to be a very down-to-earth young man you know he's Mm -hmm. grown up at Arsenal I think he really loves playing for Arsenal part of our job is to make sure we have a team in which he feels he can um you know, achieve his footballing objectives. Mm-hmm. Like playing mm-hmm. for playing for Arsenal's first team would have been his um, 
you know, top of his list when he was a teenager. But now, you know, he's done that. He's in the team. What's next? It's winning things. It's, you know, competing for things. It's, it's uh, you know, lifting trophies and all that kind of stuff. So that's part of the challenge. You know, when you have a, a young talent like him, it's inevitable people are going to talk about, you know, other destinations. But I wouldn't be worried about it uh, at the moment. He only signed a new long-term deal last summer, there or thereabouts, wasn't it? Um, yeah, last yeah, summer. Yeah, so, you know, give him a pay rise, I, you know, by all means. But I don't think we need to stress about this one just yet. That's all. No, I mean, I agree with you, but I mean to give him a pay rise. I mean, when you've got players performing at this level, you keep doing what you can to ensure you keep them and protect their value. Mm. Um, you know, he's a player who has the talent to play at the very top level of the game. And, and currently that's not where Arsenal are. And if that situation endures for too long, I'm mm. sure... You know, I'm sure there is a, a real risk of him, you know, moving. Mm. Uh, we've got to hope the team can kind of catch up with his ability and his ambition because he he is an extraordinary player. And, and our best chance of getting back where we want to be is by keeping the likes of him. Mm. Uh, okay, should we have another question? Yeah. What should we have? Oh, what about this from Kevin Billet at Kiwi Kev 10? Kevin says, thoughts on Odegaard. Even though he didn't do anything spectacular, I thought his presence freed up Saka a lot. Yeah, we had a similar question from uh, Francis Leach at St. Frankly, who says, do you agree with Tony Adams? And who are we to question Mr. Arsenal? But I'm going to do it anyway. That Arteta has done the wrong wrong thing by bringing in Odegaard. And there was a, a bit in the commentary yesterday when I think Alan Smith said something along the lines of, yeah, I mean, they've done the loan deal, but is there any real point in doing it when you don't have an option to buy at the end of it? Mm. I'm thinking, like, have you have you watched Arsenal this season? <laughs> like, have you seen what this team is missing and, and what this guy can bring? That even if it is, if it only turns out to be six months and he can make a positive contribution, then I think it's a good deal. I think it's a deal that, that stands up to any scrutiny, really, based on the talent of the player. And what I saw from him yesterday, I really liked. You know, he yeah. wasn't particularly showy. I think he worked hard. I think some of his close control is excellent. Some of his touches were excellent. He seems to be on the wavelength of those around him very quickly, which I think is is very pleasing. So all in all, I I was impressed. What did you think? I was impressed too, actually. And I think, I mean, the thing that really stands out is his first touch. He has just got immaculate mm. close control. There was that incident shortly before half time where the ball was booted up high in the air and he managed to bring it under his spell, you know, immediately. You know, it was such a brilliant, brilliant touch. Mm. And I thought his positioning was really interesting. He plays the role very differently to Smith Rowe. He drifted wide to the right, which we've seen Smith Rowe do, but he came deeper a lot as well. You know, his his biggest pass combinations were with Ceballos and Louise. So he was very happy to sort of drop into that right midfield channel, mm. which I think did help Arsenal's other attackers. It created more space for Sacco. It created a bit of an overload on that side. It meant Smith Rowe and Aubameyang could kind of come in field from the left. Um, I just thought he looked very tidy without being particularly spectacular. Mm. Um, and there were a couple of passes, actually, that had had they gone slightly differently, I think would have put a different light on his performance. There was one in the first half where he and Sabahis just weren't on the quite, yeah, quite yeah. same wavelength. 
And then that one for Bellerin in the second half where Bellerin kind of took a heavy touch and it got away from him. But I thought he looked very, very good. And yeah, I, I take Alan Smith's point about the, the option. But I don't rule it out as a possibility. You know, if he has a really good time playing here and gets regular football, mm. you know, I think that's going to matter to him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we shall see. We shall see. But it was a really encouraging start. And I think when players like that, you just need more of them, don't you? I mean, that's been Arsenal's problem. They yeah. haven't had enough creative midfielders. For sure. But with a really high technical level as well. Yeah. And I think he has that. And I think, that you know, there's something interesting as well about the fact that he was... Uh, played slightly ahead of a player he he knows pretty well in Danny Ceballos. Uh, they mm-hmm. spent time at Real Madrid. I'm not saying that's a huge factor. It's uh, very no. much a soft factor, but I think you know it might just make him feel a little bit more comfortable as well. So it seemed to, I think, and they combined really well. And uh, yeah, I, I liked what I saw of him. I think I think we will see more of him. You know, he's mm. not come here to not play, and I don't think Arsenal have led him here under false pretenses. Um, I don't know about Arsenal's chances of getting him permanently. I mean, a lot will depend what happens in Madrid. Obviously, if Zidane leaves, as looks might be the case, you know, there'll be a new manager and people like Sebastian and Odegaard will think, oh, mm. I've got an opportunity here to be part of something at Real Madrid. And it's probably difficult to compete with that. But I think we just see how it goes. And, yeah. and I agree with you on the deal. There was not a better deal to be done in January than this. No, no, no. And look, he might like it here. You never know. You never know. Yeah. So just see how it plays out. It's, you know, I think we sometimes are not forced to, but, you know, the the conversations mean you have to have a definitive judgment or an idea on something that, you know, is going to be influenced by what happens in the next few months. Of course. That we can't see. So, you know, I thought it was a really... What, was that his first start? It was his first yeah. start. So I thought it was a really promising full debut um, or first start. And I'm excited to see more of him. And I like what a player of his um, uh, characteristics brings to this Arsenal team. Yeah, you yeah. Know? he did some really lovely mm. stuff. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't the stuff that got the headlines, but there were some very subtle, mm. nice bits of play. He's got an ability to kind of play a pass sort of around the corner. You know, he did it a couple yeah. of times with Saka where he kind of receives it and almost just lets it sort of roll off his foot into the player's path and deceives the defender. Mm. Um, I liked it. I liked it a lot. And I think... Yeah, I think we'll see more of it. Okay, quick one from the Discord. We're sort of on yeah. the same wavelength here. Uh, M. Kartik says, Sabayas for 25 million Euro, uh, euros, will you buy or pass? Yeah, I don't know. Um, Sabayas, 25 million euros. I, I personally am not convinced by Danny Sabayas. He can have really outstanding games and I know that statistically he profiles really well because he works very hard defensively as well as having pretty good output you know Mm. in terms of the way he progresses the ball Um, I just have a hunch there might be something else out there for that kind of money that might be better suited to Mm. what we need Um, what about you? I would be the same I'd be the same. I, I, I think he's okay. Uh, he can have some really good games. I don't know that we've seen in, what, 18 months now, uh, a level of consistency from him that would make me 
desperate to make the deal permanent. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have massive objections to it, but I wouldn't no. necessarily be beating their door down. Uh, and here I am, I'm going to sort of do the opposite of what I said. But, you know, if, if Odegaard can uh, produce on a more consistent level, if he can do more consistently what he did yesterday than Ceballos has done in his period here, I'd be more inclined to spend the money on Odegaard than Ceballos. Yes. And again, I, I know it's very too. short, um, short term, given how little we've seen of Odegaard and everything else. But I mean, Arsenal are going to need a central midfield player this summer. Yeah. Sabas is going out on loan. Well, sorry, returning to Madrid. You know, Oops. Arsenal needs... Are you right? Did yeah, you yeah, no, there? I just dropped something there. That's fine. <laughs> Arsenal needs something. Um, it's just a question of, you know, 25 million mm. euros feels like a, a big chunk of money for Arsenal at this point in time. And I, I'm not sure that making that commitment to Sabas would be the right move. Um mm. But it depends, you know, what kind of value can be found elsewhere. On a similar tack, uh, Peder Pedersen on Twitter asks, do you still believe that Shaka should be sold in the summer? Do I believe he should be sold? I think, and I think we said this a couple of weeks ago, that given everything else that's going on in midfield, it's more likely that, that Shaka stays. And I think if the idea is to bring in another high-quality midfield player or a midfield player with the potential to become a high-quality midfield player, mm. then when you look at the Ganduzi situation, you look at the Elneny situation, you look at the Torreira situation, and I don't know, I don't really see those three at Arsenal next season. No, I don't So either. I don't really see that you can shift four of your five central midfielders in one window. I just don't see it. And I do think there's probably a case to be made that if you bring in somebody who can not necessarily job share with, with Shaka and Partey, um, you know, who has a duo of look pretty good, if you if you lessen your reliance on Shaka, then maybe you get more of the good Shaka. If that makes sense. I, 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 my feeling is, like, I, I, I absolutely would not turn down an upgrade or anything like that. I, I think it's important that we do uh, boost our central midfield options. But I think if you're asking me who should stay, Torreira doesn't want to be in England. Elneny, look, he's a nice guy, but he's, he's a pretty average sort of player. You think you could flip him and bring in someone yeah. who could do a very similar job? And I know? don't, I don't see, I don't see how Ganduzi comes back, just no. given what's happened and, and the contractual situation that he's going to have twelve months left in, in the summer. What choice do you have but to sell? So, yeah, I think you sell yeah. them and buy somebody to augment Shaka Partey. Um, maybe Joe Willock comes back. Maybe you do do a deal for uh, Danny Ceballos. I don't quite know, but... Um, I suppose, yeah, I mean, Ceballos, as kind of third man to Shaka and Partey, he can kind of emulate those roles relatively well. Mm. But it's just... It just feels like a lot of money. I don't know how many 25 million euro signings Arsenal will be able to make next summer. Yeah. Um, 
Not too many, I would imagine. Okay, here we go. We've got to get into the the Willian thing because many people have asked about it. So, you know, as much as I don't want to have this conversation over and over again, I think there's maybe yeah. an angle that we can look at. So Matt, who's at Matt J. Mullins AFC on Twitter, says, do you think there's any chance that Willian getting minutes ahead of other seemingly more worthy players could begin to cause unrest within the squad? And William Ganas, who's at Ganas the Gooner on Twitter, says, are you worried that the constant use of Willian is shortchanging other players such as Pepe and Martinelli on their chance to play? Yesterday would have been a perfect chance to keep Pepe's form going or even give Martinelli a shot at some form this season. Martinelli's the one for me. I mean, Pepe and Lacazette, to my mind, there was probably a decision to rest those guys. And if we could get away with not using them, I think we were going to not use them. Mm. Um, I, I don't see, you know, Lacazette completely falling out of Arteta's plans at this point, and nor do I see Pepe doing that. The Martinelli one is a bit odd, I have to be honest. And I do I think that it could cause friction? I can imagine if I was Gabriel Martinelli and I see Willian getting on in front of me. I mean, you know, maybe I'm mates with Willian. Maybe I like Willian. Maybe I respect him. He's a Brazil international, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I want those chances for myself. Yeah. I think it's important the squad feels like a meritocracy. Um, and one of the issues in Arteta's management, I think, has been kind of a bit of an application of sort of double standards at times you know the the idea of these non-negotiables and you know it's going to be entirely meritocratic and then it's felt like that hasn't always been applied evenly and I do feel like at this point you know Willian it is approaching it is approaching that because he just hasn't really done anything to justify his continued selection Mm. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing I said last week. I don't know why he keeps getting picked. I don't know why Mikel Arteta keeps giving him chances. He does nothing for the team. He produces nothing for the team. And and again, I can reiterate, this is now no longer uh, an issue of Willian for me. It's an issue of Willian's selection, if you like. You know, I can be as pissed off as, as anybody at how poorly he plays. But ultimately, if you keep picking a player who gives you nothing you've got to look at the guy picking the team for this mm-hmm. one. And I think you're right to, to maybe point out some double standards. You know, the idea of non-negotiables. It feels like Willian has been able to get away with a lot. You know, and well, I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't yeah. train well. I'm not saying he isn't committed and professional or, or anything like that. I think, obviously, he's he's doing enough on the training ground for Mikel Arteta to think, well, look, if I put him on at 4-1 against Leeds, he might, you know, get an assist, get a goal. It might just click him back into to action, right? I can yeah. sort of see that logic to an extent. But every time he comes on, it, it's like just taking the batteries out of the team to an extent, mm. you know, mm. or, or it feels like that. You know, because as I said earlier, I don't know that Willian was necessarily the reason why the second half played out the way it did. I think there were other aspects to it, but I just, I just really, I don't understand it. You think about what happened in the in the previous Leeds game. I don't know if you remember, but he came off at half time in that game. But this was in the week where he went off to Dubai. Yeah. in the middle of the pandemic to fucking hang out with that sprinkly salt wanker. 
and the, there seemed to be no repercussions for him in that. Maybe there were behind the scenes, but but he was but, fined, I believe. Yeah. He was fined, but you know. But it's you know the way selection. Yeah, but the way it's sort of played out, and and other players appear to have been given less leeway for. Let's just keep it on performance levels. Right. Well, we've not seen Martinelli since the United game, for example. Mm. Like, I, 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 I'm not massively worried because I do think he is... Uh, Arteta spoke about him in the last press conference and, you know, spoke about a couple of injuries that he's had and, and everything yeah, else. Yeah. I mean, he did start him against United. So, you know, there's a, there's a level of faith in that decision on its own. You know, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking of somebody like Reese Nelson, for example, whose future probably lies somewhere else at this point, but who, when he's played, has been no worse than Willian, and he can't even make the squad. So yeah. unless there's something yeah. else going on in the background there that we don't know about, but ultimately, you know, it comes back to to Arteta: how long or how many times can you keep picking a player who does or contributes nothing? I mean, do you think it is as simple as that, as thinking, well, we're four one up, you know, maybe one goes in off his ass or something? Yeah, and- yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think he thought it was a safe, um, a safe environment. That's the wrong word, but like you know, we're four one up with half an hour to go. You know, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> you I mean, know maybe I mean? he's thinking, I've, I've got to get this player working before fans yeah. get back in this stadium. <laughs> well, <laughs> or it's going to be ugly. I mean, the other thing I, I wonder, and this is complete speculation, but, you know, is it possible that he thinks um, an unhappy Willian who's not getting any chances is a problematic thing to have in my squad between now and the end of the season. Well, I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I don't know if, you know, is he the, is he the kind who's going to kick up and cause a revolution? He's a fucking... Is it a bit of a dressing room... Yeah, but he's a blow-in. an authority thing. He's a fucking blow-in. So, like, he's got no, no grounds whatsoever to cause any problem. If he's left out of the squad between now and the end of the season, he literally cannot have any complaints. He could not complain based on what he has produced for this club since he signed. Mm. Like, how could he? You know, he might be unhappy, he might be upset, but he does not have a fucking leg to stand on, which, coincidentally, is almost how he plays the game now when he comes (laughs) Yeah. I I, I kind of am flabbergasted, to be honest, at Arteta's persistence, and I do think it's becoming a slight black mark against him. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it is very, very difficult to understand. Yeah. I also think with regards to Martinelli that if it were 4-1 with 15 minutes to go, there's a chance you would have come on for Aubameyang. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I thought was interesting yesterday is watching Odegaard. I think what Arteta hoped William would bring Arsenal is kind of a, a degree of technical security in the final third. Mm. And I think Odegaard, for now, really does fulfil that need. Uh, Smith Road too, to an extent, and Saka. But, mm. you know, he, he is a really a guy who links the play, connects stuff. I mean, the other thing I was thinking about William is like he... So he arrived as kind of first choice right-sided attacker, right? I would say he's now third choice 
in that position behind Saka and Pepe. He's probably third choice at number 10 behind Smith-Rowe and Odegaard. Mm. And he's probably now, after Smith-Rowe's performance <laughs> against Leeds, third choice at left midfield behind Smith-Rowe and probably Aubameyang. Um, mm. So as, as frustrating as it is seeing him come on, it's difficult for me to imagine him starting many games at all. I mean, he has tumbled down the pecking order no. very, very fast. I mean, really, the only way he should be playing is if we're desperate, if we've got an injury crisis or, or what have you. Is the only way he should be starting games. Yeah. You know, maybe you you uh, you know you use him in the in the Europa League games. I'm not quite sure. Uh, he has plenty of European experience, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, really, the only way this guy should be playing for us is if we have nobody else if there's nobody else who can do a better job in his position, or if you absolutely have to rest somebody important because they're in the red zone. And then come the summer, you say, right, this is shit. We've got to find a way out of this. Thank you uh, and goodbye. And that's on Edu. And if that's a difficult job for Edu, well, that's his own fault. Because he... It's, you know, at the back of it, right, it's really hard to get rid of the nagging voice in your head, which says, we gave Willian a deal that Chelsea, a club who know him better than anybody else, were not willing to. They -hmm. wanted to keep him, but they wouldn't give him a three-year deal. And the relationship between Edu and Kia and Willian and Louise and all that sort of stuff, it feels like we did him and his agent a favor. And if that makes it difficult for us to extricate ourselves from this deal, well, that's on Edu. And he should be yeah. accountable for that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, Arsenal for that extra year. I guess thinking, well, you know, we can't offer, we're not offering Champions League football. You know, we're not offering, um, well, I guess that's it really, Champions League football. But it's very, very difficult to justify and there has to be a way out. Mm. Hopefully they can find a way out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've spoken about this before, but something that William's agent did quite effectively for Chelsea was move his clients on when the time came. Mm. Uh he moved a couple of them to China for an awful lot of money. I don't know how plausible that is given the sort of salary cap situation that's come in in China now. But if he mm. wants to continue a good, positive working relationship with Arsenal, probably the best thing that agent could do is is find a solution for Willian this summer. Mm. Have you got one? I've got one here for you, actually. There's a specific oh, right. question okay. for Go you. On. It comes from... Uh, the Discord f- uh, from Drew2903 says, Good morning, gents. I had a question for James. Mm. I've heard you say a couple of times that you're not getting too wound up by league results as you, you think we'll finish in mid-table somewhere and therefore yeah. individual results don't matter too much, etc. From my perspective, I think we're quite close to the Europa League spots in terms of points and the value of that in terms of cash and attracting players could be quite large. Interested in your thoughts as to why you feel like that? Is it just that you don't think we have it in us? Um, um, or the implication maybe that we've given ourselves too much to do, I guess. What it is, it's the number of teams between us and the places. It's not the points gap. The points gap is small. It's that we require um, 
we require so many teams to mess up, basically, mm. uh, that I just worry that that's not hugely feasible. And I don't foresee this team, whatever happens, going on a kind of huge run in the Premier League where they remain unbeaten. I think what happened at Wolves and Aston Villa shows that for this team, the margins are kind of still too too fine for that to really happen. Mm. Um, I do think the damage has been done basically and it was done largely in that really really dreadful run and it's very very difficult to recover from that not that's not to say I don't care I mean I'm delighted that we beat Leeds and I just I suppose you know he makes a good point about you know the financial side and can Arsenal be in Europe and I do think that is important Mm. I suppose when I say that I'm more thinking with my sort of passionate support head on and I I just find it hard to get excited about eighth or seventh or whatever it yeah, might yeah. be you know okay good answer what do you think I look I'm in very much uh, game by game territory like I yeah. think I, I'm with you in that I think we've probably given ourselves a bit too much to do and then you know part of me looks at the way we're playing and I look at the table and I see the points and it's not you know it's quite condensed and I have this little hope in my heart and then I kind of think my heart is an idiot you know um, I mean, it's only six points to Liverpool. Well, there you go. But it's just what's in between us and them. You know, it's not a straight race between us and Liverpool. Mm. Um, Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's been a bit of a weird season. So it's very difficult to be definitive about anything, isn't it? You know, I think uh, you kind of do feel like anything could really happen. Uh, So we shall see. Mm. Uh, have I got another question oh yeah I do actually it's from the discord oh my phone's ran out of battery I can't check it Um, (laughs) I remember what it was but I don't remember who asked it Okay, killer blow for them but it was towards the bottom of the page on discord and somebody said do we think Lacazette will start in Rome and I thought it was an interesting question to ask, given how effective Aubameyang was Stephen in that Stephen M. Kelly, does Laka play against Stephen. Benfica? What do you think, Andrew? I think... I think maybe. I think maybe. Um, does Aubameyang? I mean, you can't drop a guy after he's played a game like that. Scored three, could have scored five. A little bit worried about the a couple of the tackles on Aubameyang towards the end of the game, where he went right. down a couple of times. And yeah, quite quickly. Yeah. I think they were more sore than damaging, if you know what I mean. I think one of them was a, a an Achilles, was it? Just sort of a... Mm. Or they were jumping for a high ball. Yeah. It's a good question. I... I, I I don't quite know the team for for Benfica, but I have a suspicion that there'll probably be a bit more rotation than people think. And then I wonder if people will think that we're not taking it seriously. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a, there was a question about um, Rob Holding. It comes from, oh, this is yeah. such a great name, Rascal Segan. Um, Rascal Segan on the Discord as well. He says, uh, Rob Holding dropped for being too tight to Watkins versus Villa or just getting rested for Thursday. Who starts in central defence against Benfica? And like Gabriel has done two games in a row. I know Luis had a a game off, um, but I'm I'm sort of, I'm increasingly scared of David Luiz. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, for example, we saw 
Holding and Marie against Benfica. Hmm. That would be interesting, yeah. Mm. I forgot about Pablo Marie. He was, you know, obviously yeah. in the team prior to his injury. Uh, I think Holding will be back in for Benfica. I do feel like that was about being rested. He must be close behind Saka in terms of the amount of outfield minutes. Yeah, yeah he is all right. I think he's um, third. Yeah. Or second so, in terms of outfield minutes, it could be. Yeah, yeah. So I think he was due a rest and uh, it made sense to give him one. I, I think Lacazette will play. I think he will play against Benfica. What and if he I, did like a front three of Pepe, Lacazette and Martinelli? Would people go mad over that? Would they be happy? What do you think? I don't know. People want to see Pepe and they want to see <clears throat> Martinelli. I mean, I had a, a good question on Martinelli here from Football Waffle Blog who said, after your praise for Pep last week about he grad, how he gradually introduced Foden into the starting eleven. Do you think the same might be said about Arteta in 12 months over Martinelli or not? And then he concedes, obviously, Arsenal don't have the depth of quality that City do. Well, you know what? Why is anybody talking about Martinelli on a day when Arsenal score four goals and win a game playing really well? The reason we're talking about Martinelli is because I think it's in some ways because of Willian. It's because we're like anything but Willian. And like Willian is playing badly so why isn't Martinelli getting those opportunities? And I mm-hmm. completely get it. I absolutely get that. You know, I feel very much the same way myself. Like if he brought on Martinelli yesterday, I'd have been really happy about it. Um, but I, I do think there is an element of, and maybe it's true of the Saliba situation as well, of Arteta being a bit more cautious with some young players than we as fans might like. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Saka has kind of uh, Saka and Smith Rowe have kind yeah. of surpassed that, haven't they? Yeah, with- and look, I'm not I'm not saying um, he's wrong or we're right. I just think that's what the situation is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is really interesting the Martinelli one. I I'm a bit confused by it because mm. I feel like Arteta says all the right things on Martinelli, and it is incredibly. You know, praises him all the time and mm. says how brilliant a kid he is. But his selection kind of suggests otherwise, I feel. Um, and I feel like he's never really kind of uh, unleashed Martinelli with any kind of regularity. Look, maybe that mm. is about age. Maybe it's about having more experienced players in those positions. And maybe in time we'll see that as beneficial and that he was patient and allowed him to develop at his own pace. Um but there's just a little bit of a conflict there in my mind between what he says and what he does mm. on Martinelli. Um, by the way, just very quickly, yeah. I mean, because there was a story in the mirror yesterday, uh, ABR, M96, and lots of other people asked, what do you make of a, a potentially impending David Luiz contract extension? And they say, personally, I don't think it's a bad idea. Lights in the dressing room, experienced head, but I would be unhappy if it meant blocking Saliba for another year. Mm. We had this question last week or the week before yeah not for me not for me I you know as I said to somebody yesterday on Twitter when he when the team was announced look Luis could be he could be good he could be very good or he could do something ridiculous which I you know there's just too much of that in his locker as it was you know he he was really poor on the ball yesterday 
I think I know his, he had a couple of moments. His completion was down a long way, yeah. Yeah, it was like 63%. It was only 3% better than Bern Leno, who pumped it long lots of times. So, you know, that, that tells you something. But, you know, there he very were, nearly created a goal, didn't he? He did. Them, yeah. That was the one that Ailing made the block from. Yeah. And there was a very good piece of defending late on when Leeds got the ball into a dangerous position at the near post. Mm-hmm. And he came across and got a, you know, got a good clearance on, on the ball before Bamford came in. But I just, I just fear that, you know, he's not getting any younger. The legs aren't getting any uh, better. And I, I, at the heart of it, I feel like the calamities which have um, been part of David Luiz's time at Arsenal are because he's just slowing down a little bit as a central defender. And I think, you know, if you were to play him as the middle guy in maybe a back three and you had two super sprinters either side of him to do all his running, perfect. But that's not how we play and that's not how we want to play. So for me... You know, unless he's going to take a massive, massive pay cut and be happy with fifth choice or whatever, I don't see any reason to do it. Yeah, I, I still believe that too. And uh, I had heard Saliba had another good game against Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, he's got a big game against Marseille, I think, this week for mm. Nice, which is sort of derby on the south coast of France. So, um, yeah, I, I, if you if you ask me a straight choice, who do I want to see as part of the squad next season? It's Saliba. Mm. Okay. Um, I think that's probably that. That's plenty, isn't it? That's plenty. Um, and it's good to to have a podcast in which we've won, and, and the majority of which I know we've had a few little uh, bumpy bits towards the end there in terms of some of the uh, the issues which vex us. But for the most part, it's been a vex-free podcast. Yeah. And yeah. I'm I'm on board with that. And I hope we have more of these between now and uh, the That'd end of the lovely. season. Would be nice, oh, wouldn't it? To relax, you know, enjoy it. To, to, to bask in the in the podcast, basically. Yeah, exactly. Uh, more four nils early in the second half, Arsenal. And then if you just don't concede, and we can all sort of just take it easy. God, I thought when we went four nil up, I was going, this is going to be great. I'm really just going to enjoy this second half. And no, uh, but I did not with Arsenal. No, not with Arsenal. But that's who we are, and that's what we do, and we're we're used to it, I suppose, at this stage. So look, um, I want to say thank you to all of you guys for being here. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your support on Patreon. We'll have more stuff for you midweek. And what time is kickoff on uh, on Thursday? Thursday, I think it's an eight o'clock, and then it's six o'clock the following week. Right, it is an eight o'clock. How are you on Friday morning? Really put me on the spot there, asking me I on have. air, Andrew. I have. Uh, I could maybe do something. Maybe not as you long as this, but I could do something. Okay, well, I tell you what, let's do something, will we? Great. Okay. Uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you. Uh, we'll catch you on Friday for hopefully what's another goodly morning when we face or after we face Benfica on Thursday. Until then, take it easy. Bye-bye. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.